Divine Mercy Sunday. That's what the church now calls the second Sunday of Easter. This eighth day of the octave, right? The octave being our eight-day celebration of the most glorious thing that we could have ever imagined. God coming into our human experience, facing our greatest foe of death, conquering that foe, and opening, us, opening up to us the way to life eternal. And we spend this day reflecting on God's mercy. Of course, part of it is the um, revelation, the private revelation that Jesus made to Sister Faustina that we have the image of there, of him showing her how greatly he desires that not a single soul be lost, how his mercy is offered freely to anybody who will take advantage of it. And on this day that we reflect on that, we can ask ourselves, do I actually want divine mercy? Do I want God's mercy? Or is it what I really am after in my prayers, divine indifference, that God just turn a blind eye? I think it's a question worth asking because oftentimes we don't have a good idea of what mercy is. We think of mercy as just a free pass at the end of our days where God says, yeah, I don't really care the whole time how you lived, what you did. I'm merciful. Go ahead. Get into heaven. And we realize that's not mercy. That's indifference. That's God not caring about us, our character, our actions, our soul. That's God not being a loving and merciful father, but a senile grandpa or an absentee uncle. And I think that that's often what we actually want. But deep inside, our souls desire more than indifference. We desire mercy. But mercy is a tough thing. Mercy is rather severe because mercy doesn't stay at the surface level. Mercy is not God just changing us on the ledger from naughty to nice and saying, yes, you actually haven't changed, but your status is different. No. Mercy goes deep. Mercy is God wanting to transform us at the depths of our being so that we not only are in right standing with God, but have been made in our very inner being more godlike. And that's what he offers to us today. But for us, it's the question, am I willing to receive that mercy? Am I willing to be transformed by that mercy? So we can reflect. Each of us are going to have different specific things that we need to work on, but every single person has at least something. Maybe it's lying. Maybe that's the thing, is we've gotten, gotten into the habit of just, you know, stretching the truth a little bit, bending it here and there, embellishing where it's needed. Maybe we don't even notice it when we do it anymore, and we call upon God's mercy and we say, God, I need you to forgive me, and He absolutely does. But we receive that forgiveness by working with that grace and actually wanting to lie no more. To not only say, yeah, yeah I'm going to lie as much as I need to, but God will forgive me in the end. No, that's not mercy. That's indifference. Instead, I receive the mercy of God by saying, like, God, I hate that I've been lying. I just, I want to work on it. And by your grace, I trust that I can be changed from a liar to an honest man. Maybe it's cheating, cutting corners on an assignment or on a test. Maybe it's fudging the numbers at work a little bit. 
God's mercy is not just that he forgives us for that fault. It's that he makes us honest people, turns us from lies and cheats into honest men and women. But it takes work on our side. And that's what we don't like. Because God gives the grace, but then the virtue has to be practiced. We have to trust that that grace is there and say, Okay, God, I'm going to do better. By your grace, I know that I can rise up to a higher level. I can turn my back on my sin. But in order to do that, we have to consistently change in our minds our conception of what God's mercy is. It's not the indifference that says, I don't care, do what you want. It's that love that says, I care deeply about what you do and who you are and who you're becoming. And so I want to transform you from the inside out. Might be with the way that we live our family life. Right? We could rely on God's mercy when we're seeing it more as indifference by saying, you know, I just I know that life's kind of crazy and so I need to take matters into my own hands. So I'm going to contracept. I can't be open to God right now. I get it. The church says this. I get it. They have their reasons, but I have mine. And we think in terms of God's mercy will forgive me. Absolutely, he forgives you, but he wants more than that for you. He wants a transformation. He doesn't want you to just say, like, God, you'll forgive me in the end, but instead to say, God, you can transform me here and now. Instead of just the externals of my actions, I need you to change this heart that beats within my chest so that I can trust you with my future, trust you with my family, trust you with my fertility. But very often we don't want that because it's tough, it's scary. And so instead we settle on a cheap imitation mercy. God doesn't care. At the end, he'll forgive no matter what. It could be maybe that practicality is what we bring to the forefront. And we say it's just unreasonable to expect us, Father, to not live together before marriage. Right? i got to test this out. But also, rent is just so expensive. And so, for maybe 20 months of saving money on rent, I risk my immortal soul and my entire eternity. Because I get stuck in this habit of looking at what the church is asking me to do. And I say, no, 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 I know better. And and, and these are just, you know, man-made rules. And so I am going to do things my way. Because at the end of the day, divine mercy, God will forgive. But what you're actually asking for is divine indifference. That God might just turn a blind eye and not care. Because his mercy calls you to transformation. His mercy allows you to change. His mercy allows you to grow, to have this radical trust in Him and in His church. And it's that in His church part that I think we get stuck up on again. Very often we're like, oh, I'm super close to God. But I... um, The church, you know, it has all these rules and regulations, and I'm not too sure about that. And that's where I love our first reading today. We have those first apostles. And it says, Thus they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on one or another of them. A large number of people from the towns in the vicinity of Jerusalem also gathered, bringing the sick and those disturbed by unclean spirits, and they were all cured. That's the incredible thing. God cured through Peter's shadow. Now, Peter is the great symbol of the church, right? What's beautiful is Jesus, after his resurrection, he didn't heal directly. He healed through his apostles, through the church. 
But here sometimes we face a little sticking point where we say like, well, what do I have to be healed from? Well, from our addiction to sin, from our addiction to self-reliance, from our suspicion toward the church where we think, you know what, no, 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 the church doesn't know what she's talking about. I live my life my way. Instead of thinking, this is God's instrument. And maybe I'm the one that needs to change and not big bad church. How ridiculous would it be if throughout Jesus' ministry and then the apostles' ministry after him, They had the sick come to them, and they just said, oh yeah, you're cured. Meanwhile, the leprosy is still there. The blindness is still there. The deaf still can't hear. And they say, no, 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 I'm I'm not cured. Like, I'm not changed at all. And it's like, no, 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 you're you're cured. I mean, because we say so, right? Officially, on the ledger, you've, you've moved from being sick to being cured. That'd be ridiculous. And yet, that's how we approach the Lord very often with our own souls. We expect him to just change us from a distance. Our official status going from naughty to nice. But we don't want to be inwardly transformed, cured of our soul's sickness and sin. We want to continue sinning, but then at the end of the day have this safety net of divine mercy. That's not the way it works. That mercy works here and now. Transforming us from the inside. As I mentioned, we all have different things that we're going through. We all have different sins sins that we cling to. But today, Divine Mercy Sunday, the octave day of the Easter octave, we can pray for each other. That we can receive the Lord's mercy in a deeper way than we ever have before. That we can allow it to be a transformative mercy that doesn't just change us in our external status, but really reforms our entire souls to be able to be more trusting of the Lord. To release our grasp of sin and instead cling to the Christ who offers us eternal life. I pray that we can accept that mercy today. That we can pray for the grace of having an encounter with Jesus that makes us capable of receiving that mercy. An encounter with Jesus like that which Thomas had today in the gospel that we read. Where he needed to touch the Lord to believe. That's what we need as well. And at this Mass, that's what we get. We get to receive him on our very tongues. We get to receive his blessing even if we weren't able to receive communion. We're able to be in His presence and we ask for that grace for one another to be able to believe in Him anew, to be transformed by His mercy and turned into those saints that He calls us to be.